This morning, we noted that uh, David had been told by God that he would be that he would have an heir from his own body that would sit on the throne. And there was going to be this uh, continual uh, aspect to David's kingdom. We looked at the prayer that was offered uh, that is recorded in 2 Samuel. Uh, Tonight, I want us to look at a prayer that is recorded in the Psalms from what I believe is the same event. And so we have David in response offers a prayer to God For his son. Key verses are Psalm 72, verses 1 and 2. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son, uh, referring to Solomon. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. That forms the basis of the psalm, Psalm 72. The kings of Israel were to reflect in their reign the glory of the coming Messiah's kingship. The king of Israel was seen as a vice-regent reigning under the king of kings and lord of lords. Psalm 72 verse 2 says, May he judge, and we're looking at these words, your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Uh, The kings of Israel were constantly to be reminded that they were not the ultimate king, that there was a king over the king, namely God, and that the reign of the king was to reflect, uh, illustrate, manifest the reign of God over his people. So the the king had the main responsibility of being this go-between, if you will, between God and his people. He was to be the earthly agent achieving what God's kingdom was all about. Now, in a similar fashion, elders are viewed as under-shepherds caring for God. So it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. So this is God's flock. This is God's flock. It's never our flock. It's never our people. Okay? It's, and then ultimately, it's never our church. It's God's flock. It's God's church. And we are to be under that authority. And so it goes on to say in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, as God is determined So we are to shepherd in keeping with the will of God, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Then with these words, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd, referring to Jesus, appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. So there's this aspect of accountability, which certainly is given in the book of Hebrews as well, that the elders are accountable to God, and will give account for their eldership, for the way in which they uh, rule. But it's interesting that the scriptures refer to this rule, and there is a rule, responsibility to the elders, but the main emphasis is on shepherding, on shepherding. And we mentioned a couple weeks ago that David had been taken from shepherding the sheep to shepherding the nation of Israel, and that God had called him to be a shepherd of his people. And we talked about the importance of shepherd leadership. So we find that there's this continuation between the Old Testament and New Testament, except it moves from kingship to eldership. And so this king, it's very, very important that the king is going to be following God's commands, the king is going to be executing justice and righteousness and holiness. And so it also teaches us as elders, it's very, very important that what we do is in keeping with the scriptures, that it is not just what we want to do or how we think things ought to be, but we are indeed administering justice and righteousness and holiness by following God's commands. So, the Messiah's kingship is described in the book of Isaiah as one of righteousness and justice. Now, that's not the only description. Uh, we know that uh, he's mighty. We know that 
Uh, he is wise. He's the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, etc., etc. But a recurring theme is found in Isaiah 32, 1. We can look at other passages. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. So righteousness and justice are this recurring theme. So tonight, the theme is David prays for his son, the future king of Israel, that he would reign with righteousness and justice. Verse 2, may he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Why? Because that's how God reigns. He reigns in righteousness and justice. So now may the king reign in the same righteousness and justice. Notice, may he judge your people with righteousness and the poor with justice. And aside on the authorship of Psalm 72. In Psalm 72, the title in the ESV is simply of Solomon, of Solomon, which is a, a very literal translation. Uh, and uh, this genitive of Solomon uh, can be translated in a number of ways. It could be, it is the psalm, a psalm by Solomon, that would be a legitimate translation, or it could be, as the King James translates it, a psalm for Solomon. So the one views it as Solomon is the author. The other is that it views David as the author with the intent that it is focusing on Solomon. And I side on that second position that this is a psalm written by David with Solomon in view. And I have it as best to understand the psalm is written by David in regards to Solomon for three reasons. First, the kingly son is in view. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. So he's talking about the next king. He's talking about his son. We have numerous prayers of David for Solomon. Well, we don't have those kinds of examples for Solomon's prayers for his son. Second, it is found in a section of Psalms where David is the chief author, but not the only author. So that isn't an ipso facto, that isn't a guarantee. But Psalm 72 does end with these words. <clears throat> the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Uh, so it seems a bit odd that that would be the closing <clears throat> verse to the psalm if David, in fact, did not write this particular psalm, <clears throat> although it could be... <clears throat> Excuse me, excuse me. And then third, the fulfillment of the petitions of the psalm fit best with the answer to David's prayers concerning Solomon. And I will unfold that when we get to that part of the psalm. Uh, this really fits well with Solomon's life. So it's important to remember that Psalm 72 is a prayer. In Hebrew, the psalm begins with an emphatic, O God, and ends with a climatic praise to God. Psalm 72, verse 1, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. So the theme is, David prays for his son, the future king of Israel, that he would reign with righteousness and justice. What is striking in this psalm is that it focuses upon the purpose and the right manifestation of the kingdom. Of all the things he could pray for, for Solomon. He doesn't pray for his health. He doesn't pray for his well-being. Uh, he doesn't pray for so many things that a parent may pray for his child. But rather, he's praying about this particular role that he is manifesting as king. He's praying for David as it relates to the kingship. So A, a description of the benefits of a people having a just and righteous king. First, the people will share in the prosperity of the nation under a righteous and just king. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness, but bear prosperity for the people. 
that they were to see that it isn't that God was just uh, multiplying their, their coffers, but God was intending to, to bless the entire nation. And of course, Solomon is going to become the richest king that Israel ever had. But it wasn't just for Solomon to enjoy these riches, but God intended there to be this trickling down effect, that there was to be a prosperity that was to be enjoyed by the entire nation, that it was to be to their benefit, it was to be to their goodness, that this was God's provision, not just for Solomon, but for the nation. Secondly, a righteous and just king is refreshing. May he be like the rain that falls on the grown grass, like showers that water the earth. So I have chosen to use the word refreshing to speak of that metaphor. But it's talking about, again, the benefits and the joy of having this just and righteous king. This is the kind of king you want to be under. Third, under a righteous and just king, peace abounds. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. This everlasting peace. Peace can be understood in a lot of ways. Peace from one's enemies. But I would understand it primarily in this essence uh, to be peace that is experienced within the nation itself. The way in which this king rules. He, he rules in a peaceful manner as opposed to one of autocracy and and, and one of vengeance and, and one of harshness. And fourth, the blessings experienced under a righteous and just king are not just momentary but lasting till the moon be no more. Now that certainly has implications for ultimately Jesus Christ as we've been seeing in these prophecies. But the point is that it is looking not at just the present but looking into the future. Uh, this is not just about Solomon but it's about the future generations as well. This is a promise. And David is praying that this peace and this righteousness would continue on. Uh, we are so prone to look at the immediate effect of our decisions, about uh, the day-to-day -day consequences, about you know what is this decision gonna mean for us for the next two months, and the next six months, and the next year. And we may be so outward thinking that we might even think about the next 10 years. But we need to be making decisions that are thinking about not just the next 10 years, but the next generation. And not just the next generation, but the generation after that, and the generation after that. What effect are the decisions that I'm making today gonna affect not only my children, but my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, and collectively, our children, our great-grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and, and all those that come in among us that, that are not present today. The, the decisions that we make, the kind of church that we are, we are on a road to the future. And so the question is, what is the legacy? What are we going to be passing down? What is the next generation going to be Receiving, And so David is praying for this king that the benefits of this kingdom and this kingship is going to be experienced till the moon is no more. That it's going to be with wisdom and justice for an extended period of time. B, a prayer that the king would be an advocate for the most lowly. May he be a protector of those who have no other defender. Verse 4, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people. May he supply what is needed to those who are suffering lack. Verse 4, may he defend the cause of the poor, of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy. May he bring an end to social injustice and crush the oppressor, those that would take advantage of the weak and of the poor. Application. The lowly would be of the least advantage and help to the king. The oppressors of the lowly would be the most powerful and influential people of the kingdom. 
and thus provide a great temptation for the king to side with them. It's true of any nation at any time. The power of a nation is with the rich. It is with those that have the wherewithal to accomplish that which they want to accomplish. And so often it is that the rich become rich at the expense of the poor. And because the rich are in leadership, they're making the decisions. And so often they are making decisions that make them become richer and the poor to become poor. And so the king is to be an advocate for the needy, for the poor. When they have no voice, they have no advocate, and those in their kingdom of influence are not going to be speaking for the poor, will not be the defender of them. And uh, you certainly see in the New Testament how often it is that, that Jesus is with the poor, He's with the needy. He's with the sick. He's with those that have great infirmity. That's who he associates with. And so this is to be modeled by the king as well. Secondly, David prays for the expansion of the kingdom. Psalm 72, verse 8, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Again, this is to reflect not just the power of David and Solomon and future generations, but so that peace and justice might reign throughout the world. That there would be this effect that the nation of Israel would have on the entire earth. That they're going to be a blessing. And we find that time and time again in the word of God. Joseph being sold into slavery in Egypt wasn't simply to provide food for the Israelites in a time of famine, but they fed the world. They fed the world. God has a bigger picture in view. And there's always a temptation to make it about us, uh, to make it about what we enjoy, to make it about what we want to experience. And what we feel comfortable with, whereas it is to be about something much, much bigger than ourselves, is to be about the world. And so, may lesser rulers come before him. Psalm 72, verse 9, may desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies look to dust. They'd be the nomadic leaders. Uh, these would be the poor nations of the world. Secondly, may the rich and powerful rulers come before him. Verse 10, may the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. I have noted how this prayer is remarkably fulfilled in the queen of Sheba. Uh, I said that this fits well with the life of Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1, it says, now when the king of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. Now that's striking. She's heard about Solomon's fame, but she hears about it in conjunction with the Lord. She has heard that the Lord has done something incredible in Israel. God's name has been honored. God's name has been glorified. And she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And uh, I left out the part where he speaks and uh, she's amazed at his wisdom and all that he knows, etc. But uh, this part about bringing gifts, 1 Kings 10, verse 10. Then she gave this king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Never again. There will never be a future time in which such gifts were given. 
but it's noteworthy. And verse 11, moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almond wood and precious stones. And all these kings and queens are coming and giving gifts. And that's a great way in which Solomon is increasing in riches and the nation is increasing in riches. Three, may all the nations of the earth seek him. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. 1 Kings 4.34 And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. This prayer was answered by God. God was pleased by what David was praying. But again, the motivation of this prayer isn't just that Solomon would rise to this incredible position of honor and power, although it is a great position of honor and power, but that he'd be an instrument of God. And so they're coming to hear his wisdom, of which, of course, the source is God. And so God richly blesses so that Israel can be a blessing to the world. Three, the reason David desires the expanse of the kingdom is so that the king can provide justice for all. The greatness of a kingdom of a nation is seen in the manner in which it responds to the poor and needy. The the king is sensitive to the cries for help. Let me just, I I didn't go into this, but let me just give an aside here. That there is a great moral responsibility that every great nation has. That when a nation has such power that it can influence all the nations round about it, it must be careful that that power is rendered with justice and righteousness. There is a moral responsibility that, that nations have. And one of the ways in which we see that manifested in a very practical way is World War II. When there was a Hitler. And when millions of Jews were being slaughtered. Those nations that had power, and most notably us, had a moral duty and responsibility to bring about justice and and righteousness, at least externally, to bring an end to to that kind of mass mayhem and slaughter. God intends that the nations would impact the nations. But more than that, and primarily when you get to the New Testament, it's the kingdom of God as seen in the gospel that there is this moral responsibility for the people of God to do righteously and justly for the sake and well-being of the peace, not only in their families, not only in their church, not only in their nation, but in the world. That God intends the gospel to have a purifying effect of the unrighteousness that goes on in this world. Sin is corrupting. Sin is destructive. And the answer to sin is God's righteousness. And the means of bringing repentance is not by spear and sword, but it's by the power of the gospel that people come to a place where they acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ and they repent and they change their behaviors. So, hey, the king is sensitive to the cries for help. Verse 12, for he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. I didn't give all of these uh, cross-references, but since I have more time than normal tonight, I'll tell you some other thoughts that are going through my mind. And one of them is in the book of Exodus. And of course, when uh, God appears to, to Moses at the burning bush in the form of that flame and the bush is not consumed, God says, 
I heard the cries of my people. God was aware of the pain and the suffering of the children of Israel as they are in bondage in the land of Egypt. And so he raises up a deliverer who's going to be Moses. And Moses is, is going to bring his people out of that bondage and that, that suffering. He is one who hears our cries. And so the king cannot be deafened to the cries of the poor and needy, but has to be responsive. So B, the king comes to the aid of the needy out of compassion for them. Verse 13, he has pity on the weak and the needy. The king truly cares about the condition of the oppressed and saves them from their distress, even death. Verse 14, from the oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Number four, David prays that the people would respond in appreciation for God, giving them a righteous and just king. May the king live long and prosper. Psalm 72, verse 15, long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. So the people should want to see this kind of kingship continue on. It is significant about the kind of leadership that people want. Uh, in the book of Jeremiah, God says that he will give them the shepherds that they desire. Uh, what kind of king do they want? And if you remember back into 1 Samuel, God had given a judge to them, namely Samuel, but the people said, we want a king like the nations round about us. That's the kind of king they wanted. A king like the nations round about them. And so God gave them that kind of king, namely Saul. And Saul's claim to fame was that he was taller than anyone else. That's the kind of king they wanted. They, they wanted somebody that looked powerful. They wanted somebody that, that looked handsome. They, they wanted somebody that could put the other kings to shame by these earthly, ridiculous attributes that really didn't matter when it came to justice and righteousness and holiness. So the issue is what kind of king do they want? So the, the people are to be praying for this king. They are to be praying for him all the day that he would continue to be used of God, continue to be blessed of God. And I would say to you that uh, we should be praying for our elders uh, in our church, our leaders, uh, as uh, may they continue. May they not grow weary in well-doing. <laughs> may God give them health and strength. May they be able to continue on and serve the Lord with strength and justice and righteousness. B, may the king's kingdom prosper. May there be abundance of grain in the land. And on the tops of the mountains, may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. Now that sounds like a selfish prayer. But it isn't. But it isn't. If the motivation is right. I don't know if you ever pray for the prosperity of the church. Even the prosperity of our church. May God give us an abundance of money. Not just so that we can sit back and be prosperous and enjoy all kinds of amenities and benefits, but so that we are not limited in the outreach, so that we're not in any way constrained by doing what we think would be of best help for others, how we can give to missions, how we can impact a, a community, that we would not be limited by resources. But God would bless us so much that we could reach more and more people for Christ. That's the right prayer, if it's the right motiva motivation. But if we're trying to establish a kingdom for ourselves, <laughs> as opposed to a kingdom for God, then 
That's a whole other story. C, may the king be exalted. Psalm 72, verse 17, may his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. And of course, Solomon's name comes down to us to today. Solomon has his problems, as we all know. But God indeed did greatly use Solomon. And one of the most notable things about Solomon is uh, building the temple. And one of the most notable usages of all the wealth that Solomon accrued and the nation accrued was in the expenditures that were made on the temple. So that all nations would come and see and behold and be impressed and be amazed by this God. Which brings us to five. David's ultimate desire and purpose of his prayer is that the king and his kingdom bring honor and glory to God. May all the blessings of the kingdom be attributed to God's working, verse 18. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. That is the doxology. That is the recognition. That is the basis of the prayer, and that is the object of the prayer. Why does David pray to God? Because God is the only one that can bring these things to pass. God is the only one who can have any control over the future. David can't. David can't determine what the future is like. I find it understandable, but futile, the way in which people seek to protect the future. And one of the most common ways for people to protect the future is for Christian organizations, churches, seminaries, colleges, etc., to formulate doctrinal statements of this is what we believe and this is what we all are going to believe. I think doctrinal statements are very important, don't get me wrong. I spent a lot of years of my life with uh, the doctrinal statement of the Biofellowship Church and have personally been involved in rewriting about nine of those articles. I spent three years working on the doctrinal statement for biblical seminary. That doctrinal statement has been totally changed. I'm not saying for the, for the worse, I'm just saying it's changed, it's, it's different. And we fool ourselves if we really think that a piece of paper is going to guard the future. It's what people believe. And you can't determine that by a piece of paper. Now, it's important that we know what we believe, and it's important that we teach consistently with what we believe. And we communicate what we believe. But the power belongs solely to God. Solely to God. Our confidence has to be solely in Him. He's the future. We can't guarantee it. And we can't even affect it as much as we think we can, except by prayer. Praying for the future leaders, praying for the future elders, praying for the future pastors, praying for the future Sunday school teachers, praying for the next generation, praying that God would prosper the work, pray that God would use this next generation and the generation to follow and the generation to follow that. And B, may the entire earth render glory, honor, and praise before God. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. How is that going to happen? How is the whole earth going to be filled with God's glory? In this context, it's their coming to this king. It's their acknowledging that, that Israel is 
of such a different character. Why? Because of their God. Because of their God. This morning, I went home and kind of lamented some of the statements I made because I left six pages of my notes out this morning. And uh, they were the second half, the application. And I talked about the fact that it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to be saved. But I left six pages out that talked about the fact that we are saved to be the people of God. To be the people of God, to belong to him. To be different. To bring honor and glory to his name by our character, by our conduct, by our living in accordance with God's word and his commands. He saved the people to bring glory and honor to himself. And he does that by raising his people to a place of prominence where they look to him. And then his people say, no, no, look to him. And give the glory and the honor to the God who deserves it, which is exactly what David does time and time again in his life. And I pointed out David's weaknesses, but David's great strength is the way in which he constantly is exalting God. And even in his weaknesses, even in his sinfulness, David is constantly pointing to a gracious God who forgives him, who restores him, who welcomes him into his presence. So we have Psalm 51, so we have Psalm 32. We have all these wonderful psalms in which David just extols a God like no other. A God like no other. And as we do that, as, as we acknowledge time and time again that whatever it is that we're able to accomplish, it's by God's grace. We bring glory to God and point people to him with the intent that he can do this for you. If God can save me, he certainly can save you. If God can bring me to a place of rest, he certainly can bring you to a place of rest. The whole purpose of the Old Testament is to demonstrate that this God that delivered the children of Israel is the same God who can deliver us. And he does, and he does. So the application, A, we too should pray that God be pleased to use our children. We should pray that they would occupy places of influence for the good of others. You know, as, as you pray for your children, I think there are things that we should be praying for. We should be praying for their future spouse. We should pray that they come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, there are so many things that, that we can pray for our children that really don't matter, you know, that they make the baseball team or don't make the baseball team and some of these other things. Not to say that it's wrong to pray those things, but I, what I'm saying to you is what's the most important thing to be praying? David was just thrilled with the knowledge that the kingship was going to pass on to his son. Do you pray that your children, your grandchildren, are going to occupy the places of prominence and influence that are now enjoyed by others, perhaps enjoyed by you? That it isn't just you that are going to be an elder, but may your son be an elder. May your grandson be an elder. And now it's not to say that the only place of influence is eldership. May he be a teacher. May he be a businessman that has influence in the society. May he be a mayor. May he be a professional doctor, a lawyer. People of influence. But influence isn't just people of power either. Moms and dads have incredible influence over their children. Pray for your children that they would be godly parents, consistent in the way in which they bring up their children, disciplining them, helping them to understand, taking time to hear them and share the word of God with them, equipping them, readying them, to be used of God in a powerful way and praying that God would use them to benefit his people and to benefit the world.
C, we should pray that they would protect others who cannot protect themselves and teach them how important that is to come to the aid of those that are the outcast. And that isn't just the people in Lord Jabet. That just isn't the people in Haiti. And I'm not minimizing the people in Haiti and all their needs, but the people that are made fun of at school. The people who aren't welcomed into the clique. The people who aren't so athletic. The people that are just overlooked. May we be careful that we don't overlook such people. May we give to those that have no place to belong a place to belong. May they be welcome in our presence. May we be glad that they are here. And may we communicate to them those things in a powerful way. Why? Because they are God's children. And God welcomes them. God cares for them. That's the book of James. E. We should be sure that the contents of such prayers be communicated to our children and future leaders. Number one, these prayers were made public. We know what David prayed because it's recorded in 2 Samuel. We know what David prayed because it's recorded in Psalm 72. We know what David prayed because it's given to us in Psalm 32. We know what David prayed because it's in Psalm 51. It's wonderful that we pray for our children and future generations. But we also need to communicate to them that we are praying for them. And not just simply saying, I'm praying for you. But let them know your heart. Let them know what it is that you're praying for them. And you're praying that that God would use them, that that's really, really important to you. You're praying that God would use them to be an influence for the kingdom. And not just 30 years from now, but today. That they would be used as an influence in God's kingdom, showing the love and mercy of Christ to others. Communicating. Two, these prayers had a profound influence upon Solomon. Not just in in the way in which God answered these prayers, which he did, but the impact that the prayers had upon Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. And that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said to God, You have shown great steadfast love to David, my father. He starts with an acknowledgement of what God had done for David. Where did he learn that? How did he know that? Why was that his perspective? Because David would never let him forget it. This morning we talked about David's perception of his undeservedness and how he praised God for where he came. That wasn't just lip service. That wasn't just David buttering God up and telling God what he wanted to hear. That was David's sincere belief and understanding. And he communicated it to David, uh, to Solomon. And Solomon got it. Solomon said to God, you have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and made me king in his place. So he acknowledges that God made Solomon king. We haven't gotten to that place yet, but many of you know your Bibles pretty well, and you realize that as David grows older, there are uh, espionage and uh, trickery and devices, and, and people are juggling and, and trying to get to be the next king. And there's, resurre- there's insurrection and, and uh, all kinds of things taking place. And finally, they come and say to David, David, don't you understand what's happening? You better choose the next king. And, and so David says, okay, it's Solomon. And, you know, get the mule and let him sit on it. And everybody proclaim he's, he's the king. But Solomon doesn't say, David made me king. 
he says, you have made me king in this place. He understood that it was overall this, this sovereign working of God. And again, it's so easy to talk about God's sovereignty and we believe in God's sovereignty. But yet, on a daily basis, to live as though God is not sovereign. And fail to believe that God is in control of the future, not me. And all will go well as we pray to God and he knows the need and he will provide and he will protect and his will be accomplished and his purpose will be done. So don't fret, don't worry. Look to God. His work goes on. He has promised that the gates of hell should not prevail against his church. Verse 9. O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled. <laughs> How did he know what God said to David? How did he understand what these promises were? I submit to you that David explained it. David told him. David didn't just pray for Solomon. He instructed Solomon. He taught Solomon. He groomed Solomon to be the next king. Verse 9. O Lord God, your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Solomon says, I'm not up for the task. It's beyond me. I'm not sufficient. True humility, true humility. And of course, as you know the story, God is extremely pleased with the prayer that Solomon offered. Solomon offered. So three, these prayers of David were wonderfully answered as he prays for the next king. With that expectation and with that hope, that God answers our prayers. May we pray for the next generation. May we pray for the next leaders. May we pray for God's continued blessing upon the church, for his glory, for his praise. And may we really believe and understand that we've gotten to where we are simply by God's grace. Too much credit is given to earthly leadership. There is no one here who can take credit, including myself, for any of the blessings that we enjoy, any of the prosperity we experience, any advancements that we have made. It's all been of God's grace. It's all been of God's goodness. And if God's hand did not rest upon us, we would have gone nowhere. And if God's hand does not rest upon us, we will not continue. But with God's hand upon us, and the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation, they can do far, far, far above anything that we have done because God will use them. May that be our prayer. May that be our desire. May that be our confidence. And may we trust in our God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your great grace and your, your mercy. And I pray you would help us to, to live out the theology that is deep within our hearts and minds. Lord, we, we know these things, and yet it's so difficult to, to live these things. Even David found consistency to be hard, and it's hard for us. 
So Lord, continue to remind us, continue to teach us, even as the psalm says that people would invoke for the king daily. May, may we pray daily. First and foremost for ourselves and our own hearts and our own desires and ambitions. That we pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But Lord, that we would be praying for not just ourselves, but the future. And the future generations, and not just for their happiness, and not just for their blessedness, but that the future generation can cause the, the church to go forward. And not just for the sake of the church, but ultimately the world. Ultimately the world. May we impact our world through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May you raise up more missionaries. May you raise up more pastors. May you raise up more teachers. May you raise up more businessmen. May you raise up people who desire to bring the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth so that you are glorified, so that your name is lifted up. And yes, so that our earth knows peace. And yes, so oppression ends. And yes, so the needs of the needy are met, but ultimately so that people might see that you are the source and all praise and all honor and all glory goes unto you. Bless us, we pray. Bless our future, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>